This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Welcome, 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 everybody, to the first ever episode 20 of the Best Seats Podcast. I'm your host, Crawford McCarthy, as always, bringing you interviews with some of the best hospitality figures from around Southern California and beyond. Thank you, as always, to Allie Coyle for providing the music for the show. You can check out more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com or go see her in one of her family's three restaurants, Fable and Spirit, Dublin Four Gastropub, and Wine Works for Everyone. 20 episodes into this pokey little podcast, and I have a hell of a guest for this episode. I am extremely humbled and grateful to welcome Chef Ben Martinick, studio at Montage Laguna Beach. Um, studio is a transformational restaurant, and I know it's kind of hyperbole and you know writer romantic speak and a lot of other BS to talk about restaurants in this way, but it's truly one of the best fine dining restaurants, not just in Southern California, but I would argue in the Western United States. Um, Chef Martinick is incredibly talented, incredibly passionate, um, very kind of artistically driven. He's got some of the most beautiful plating you'll see. Um, a really, really, really creative mind, um, a hell of a chef and a hell of a guy. Um, I was so grateful that he took the time. You know, He's still working during this, as you'll kind of hear during the podcast, obviously being a father, but being able to peel away 45 minutes, an hour to kind of sit down and, and chat with me for this 20th episode. I'm extremely grateful for it. Um, we're going to talk about a bunch of things. I do want to note right off the bat, and we'll talk about this in the podcast too, uh, there are some questions and topics that I've asked other chefs on the show based on kind of current events. Again, this is being recorded on July 9th, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, at the request of the montage itself, we I was not allowed to talk about these topics, quite frankly. Um, and out of respect for getting chef on the show, that wasn't a problem. Obviously, montage has properties all over the world when it comes to addressing things that contextually kind of, they want to do it in a global context. They want to make sure that their communications department is ahead of this. So we really kind of kept the focus on food and things like that and stayed away from kind of some of the socio-political uh, current events. So please do not be upset with Chef or myself for not asking those questions. This was at the request of Montage proper. Um, and I'm grateful to them for allowing Chef to come on this pokey little podcast and talk about food, which is what he does Beautifully. We talk about some amazing menus he's done, some of the alumni that have come through studio. He's coming up on 10 years there. Um, if you've not eaten there, when they reopen, find some time. Again, there's no beating around the bush. It's an expensive meal, but it's an experiential meal. I was fortunate enough and incredibly blessed enough to eat there just under a year ago, um, last August, and I've never experienced anything like that. I've eaten at restaurants in New York, you know, by Daniel Boulud and places like that. Um, but out here studio really changed the way that you view a dinner service, the way that it can be run. You understand kind of some of those old school French, you know, team setups, having captains that run each table. You really want for not, there's not a moment where someone is not making sure that you're completely comfortable and taking care of. And the fear obviously coming out of what's going on right now with COVID-19 and things like that is that that may change and that may be, you know, laid to rest and we don't know. And what does that mean for a chef like Martinek, who has dealt with this, you know, the majority of his career and done a fantastic job at doing so. We don't know yet, but we're going to talk about it and we're going to talk about a litany of other things. And I hope that you enjoy the hell out of it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, this is a heck of an interview from a heck of a guy who runs one heck of a restaurant. And I hope you enjoy episode 20 of the Best Seats podcast featuring the chef studio at Montage Laguna Beach, Chef Ben Martinek. Hey, Chef, how are you? Good, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, of course. I really appreciate you uh, being a little flexible, obviously, for everybody that's going to be listening. We were supposed to record this yesterday, and my C unit decided to blow up, so we were recording this on Thursday the 9th. Um, <laughs> Hope everything went well with that. Yeah, luckily it was nothing big, so I, I appreciate you being flexible. Um, of course. I, I want to jump right into it. I'm well aware with your background, but I would love it if you could take a second and just kind of introduce yourself to everyone and give a little bit of your background on how you got to studio. Sure, absolutely. My name is uh, Ben Martinek. Uh, I'm 
My current position is uh, chef de cuisine of studio fine dining restaurant at the Montage. Um, I've been there just about 10 years now, actually. I've held various different positions in the hotel. Uh, but my culinary background goes back a bit further than that. Originally from Colorado, I moved out here about 14 years ago to San Francisco. Uh, went to culinary school there and then uh, moved down to Orange County about 12 years ago. I took a job initially at the Ritz-Carlton and then moved to Montage. Um, it'll be 10 years in this October. So quite a quite a chunk of time there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. I love Southern California. And I, you know, just as a chef, feel so fulfilled here with, uh, you know, all the wonderful produce that we have in the beautiful ocean right at our back door. So I uh, couldn't find a better place to be a chef, in my opinion. So you are already at almost 10 years. I didn't know it was already up that high. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, 10 years this October, pretty crazy. And uh, I started as a wine cook, um, and then I was promoted to a chef, sous chef of the three-meal restaurant, and I did that for about five years, and then went back towards the fine dining route and did that as a sous chef for a while before uh, taking the restaurant over about two years ago. So before we jump into some of the things that I want to talk about, I do want to be candid with everyone right off the bat. We're going to talk about uh, Studio Sum and things like that, but there may be some topics and questions that we don't talk about. And reason for that is obviously Montage. I want to be very respectful for their communications department. Um, You're actually going to be the first chef that I've had that works on a property for a resort uh, or anything kind of equivalent for that. So if anybody's listening to anything we don't talk about, understand that it's out of respect for the Montage and their requests during this. But let's and do, I do jump appreciate in. That as well. No, absolutely. I'm happy to do it. Again, you're you're giving me the time. So, yeah. uh, with everything that is going on, what's it like? Not just being a chef during all this, but being a chef that operates at a level that you do. Because we'll expand on studio a little bit more later on, and kind of the way that it's run and the accolades and things like that. But what's it like? Well, we'll start with just being a chef during times like this. Well. Undoubtedly, this is the most challenging time that uh, I've ever faced, and uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that have had it worse off than I have. Um, it's it's you know it's crazy, and being I think it was fine dining is probably I don't want to say it's taken the hardest hit because I don't know the full spectrum, but it definitely took a hard hit. You know, it's um, I think everybody had to kind of get back to the basics for a little while, and um, you know anybody that was able to had to focus more about feeding, feeding people and feeding masses and, and putting food into go boxes and, you know, figuring out how to, how to create contactless service. Whereas, you know, six months ago we had teams of five, six people serving each table, and, you know, two hour long dining experiences where it was as much contact as possible with table side services, and, you know, shaving truffles and things like that. And, people come to appreciate that. And then all of a sudden the carpet just gets ripped out from underneath you and um, they're trying to reconfigure things and how to see it from the guest perspective and not eating off a burn to dough. You're now eating out of a, a paper box. Yeah. So it's definitely a, a hard reset for myself. Um, but, you know, just like any other situation and try and make the best of it. And I think for, Speaking for myself, it was it was nice to get back to the basics a little bit and return to my roots and cooking food that isn't reliant on multiple different temperatures and textures and presentations over the top presentations. And, you know, I had to put my tweezers away for a while, which is uh, <laughs> a little heartbreaking. But you know, it's uh, it, it, like, again, it's, it's trying to make the best of a terrible situation and getting back to the basics and what makes food delicious is you know cooking wonderful ingredients to the right temperatures and seasoning it well. And, uh, you know, being able to focus on that definitely still drives the passion to the food. So that hasn't changed. What have you been doing to stay busy during the, uh, shutdowns? <clears throat> well, I was fortunate enough to have not had, uh, much time away from work. Um, you know, we were part of the lodging industry deemed as essential. So, um, we, I, I never really took any time off. I was working the whole time and a lot of it was, you know, going in and deep cleaning these spaces and, and, you know, taking that opportunity to really, really get in the nooks and crannies and, uh, inventory all the product and figure out how to use up some of the, the, um, 
more, uh, uh, you know, the uh, product that's going to turn on us and, and seeing what we can preserve over the next few months and, you know, the whole time not knowing how long this is going to take. Uh, and then we transitioned into um, a lot of cooking for the actual associates because, you know, we had security team on property the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the, some of the executive team was there the whole time. You know, they're making, making the decisions and staying on property as much as possible and just protecting our assets and things like that. And uh, so I was lucky enough to be cooking the entire time. Um, you know, I, I watched, I would say, gosh, I, you know, 90% of my, my colleagues and whatnot get furloughed and their restaurants are all closed. And, um, you know, everybody was able to, uh, well, not everybody, but a lot of them were able to bounce back. And um, I'm really happy to see that. But myself, uh, I was fortunate enough to continue working the whole time. That's really good. I, one yeah. of the things that I've talked about with a lot of the chefs uh, has been kind of those first couple weeks and days where you're walking into the walk-in and you're kind of seeing, man, what's going to go? What can I give away? What can I give the staff? Things like that. Your yeah. walk-in, I imagine, yeah. must be a little different because there's only so many places that are bringing in, you know, abalone and things like that. What were those first couple days like where you're kind of breaking down your ingredient list? Oh man, it was it was a little depressing. I'm not going to lie. You know, you <laughs> have all these. Fantastic. Like you said, like the abalone, I'll use that as an example. Cause you, you, you just, you develop such a respect for these creatures and, mm-hmm. and they're not just food to you anymore. You know, you, you bring them in alive and you, you have this respect for how they were raised and harvested. And you try to translate that respect into how you prepare them. And hopefully the guests, you know, can also understand a little bit of that respect that goes into the product. Then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the guest isn't part of the equation anymore what are you going to be able to do with this product to still maintain some level of respect for it? You know, luckily, I don't, I mean, I guess I can't say luckily, but we had, uh, before the actual closures, uh, you know, the, the mandated closures were in place, the shelter in place orders came a little bit before that. So things were starting to taper off a bit and, you know, the ordering slowed down mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we kind of saw the beginning of the situation before we were in it. And so we were able to uh, taper off a lot of the ordering and start to slow down on a lot of the the, um, the purchasing of the products. But it was really the, the produce. The produce is a hard one. Yeah. Um, you know, you have so much of it. And um, how do you, we wanted to be able to, you know, share that without it just going to waste. But how do you do that without creating absolute melee? That was kind of the problem. So we, we were able to, um, you know, set up a, a kind of grab and go situation where people were coming to pick up all the produce that we weren't going to be able to use. Um, we made, you know, some big batches of certain things that we were able to freeze with the intention of serving, um, our fellow associates that food later down the line. Um, you know, big batches of soups and stews and things like that, that would freeze well. And, uh, the proteins, as far as the meats are concerned, they all just basically went into the freezer. Um, some of which are still there. I would probably, you know, Wagyu and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> hasn't really been a market back to that yet. So still sitting <laughs> on some of that. And, and you know, that was kind of the, the meat industry as a whole. It's such a big machine um, that basically the country's surplus got frozen. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the price of fresh meat went way up. Just another one of the little ripple effects that, that uh, we've seen through the industry here. Um, but yeah, I'd say overall we did a we did a damn good job at making sure that things weren't going to waste and going in the garbage can. So that's good. And at the end of the day, uh, the things that were wasted mostly went to compost and things like that. So um, I think we, you know, it was a very responsible process, and we did it the way that we knew best to respect the products for what they were. So I know some chefs. Though. Oh no, I can't. I can't <laughs> even imagine those first couple of days. <laughs> Yeah, I know some chefs have looked into things like fermentation and things like that. Now that they knew that they, even if they were going to be working kind of like you were able to do, even if they were going to be off for at least the inevitable two months or so, looked into things like fermentation and kind of setting up things in the back end. Um, did you look at anything like that with the team, taking any products, and yeah. just kind of letting them go? Yeah, we we did absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's well, it's such a simple process, and it's been highlighted so much in the in our industry in the last you know couple of years that. Uh, 
that's like almost your first thing instinct is like, all right, well, what can we ferment? And, you know, I'm not going to lie. A lot of those things don't, don't turn out the way you want them to, mm-hmm. unless you're following a, a set recipe. But this was kind of a fun, uh, chance to get creative with some of the things. And we did some ferments, we did some vinegars, more, more so pickling than anything else. A lot of pickles. And, but we did make some cool kimchi out of some of the spring ingredients. Um, and you know, that's just, that was one of the hardest parts is that you're diving right into spring, which is our, you know, pretty much across the board. That's going to be uh, any chef's favorite season. You just yeah. start to see so much abundance of beautiful produce coming around. And, uh, we were right in the midst of that. And we were just, you know, it's the gills with, uh, all these cool ingredients. And then all of a sudden, you know, you just get a hard stop. And what do you do with all those? And they're very volatile, you know, all those green vegetables, they don't last very long. So. It was, uh, it was tricky. Um, but again, it was kind of, a, it did taper off. It wasn't just an abrupt stop. So we didn't, uh, have a huge surplus of things that we needed to ferment and pickle and things like that. But, um, some fun things came out of it. We did a, a green strawberry kimchi. That nice. was really cool. Um, yeah, we just, you know, honestly, I had a bunch of green strawberries. They're just underripe. Um, you know, Mm-hmm. nice nice strawberries that just haven't ripened um norm, normally you can slice them raw things like that and this year we uh didn't have that option so we all, we just threw them in a nice uh nice bath and made a kimchi out of them they came out great and at this point actually i've used them all now but uh they lasted for the last four months that's great pretty cool yeah one of the things that you're most known for is not just the stunning garden that you guys have at Studio on Property, but obviously your garden tasting menu. What's it been like kind of being able to have that garden still there, tending to it, but not being able to utilize it as far as presenting well, those menus? Uh, that's been, it's been hard, but I will say this. Um, without us being in the garden, tearing things out on a daily basis, it is more beautiful now than it may have ever been. You know, all the everything flowered this year without being picked apart. Um, it, it was, it was an absolute stunning, stunning spring season in our garden. Um, just for that simple fact that we weren't using it as much. Um, but we've gotten into, we've been back down there. I'm pretty much in my garden on a daily basis, just kind of checking things out and seeing what's ready. Um, tomatoes were a big thing we planted this spring so those are just starting to come around now mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to have a huge crop of tomatoes coming out of there so you know the things the the, the main produce and vegetables and stuff that came from the garden is still absolutely going to be utilized in one way or another um, it's really that the fine like flowering garnishes and things like that that we focused on that slowed down quite a bit so obviously we we don't know when things are going to open back up and I don't want to speak on behalf of the montage in that regard. Everybody's taking it as slowly and safely as they can and should. Um, Mm -hmm. Your menus are so not different from what other people do, but they're elaborate. They are that upper echelon of kind of cooking uh, basically is close to kind of that really, really high end high dining that I think a lot of people could find on the West coast. um, If not Mm -hmm. just kind of this part of the nation, when you're planning oh, menus well, and things you. like that, there's so many different aspects that go into it. And we'll talk about it a little later, kind of the setup, having a captain on your team and not just the dishes themselves, but the timing in between the dishes and menu planning. What has this done kind of being able, like you said, we basically skipped spring. Let's just for the sake of argument, say that we're skipping summer. What is this doing in your head as far as staying creative and planning those next menus when you're still having to deal with uncertainty like this? Well, most of the ideas are going on paper. Um, they're not, they're not being translated immediately into dishes as they would have been six months ago. Um, you know, it was right, right during the spring, you know, I wrote, I sat down and wrote what I thought would be a great summer menu and starting with the great ingredients that you see during the summer. Um, and of course that's now in my back pocket and, uh, it looks like the next one will be the fall menu. We'll write that. And, you know, in my mind, if it, if it makes it on the paper, it's, it's, uh, at least the blueprints there. And if it's a year from now, if it's six months from now, whatever it may be, at least, at least that idea made it on the paper and, and it's not lost in space, you know? So the ideas are still there and all that. And, um, you know, there's always been, you know, this, um, collaborative creativity, you know, the ideas can come from anywhere. It's really just the refinement. That's, uh, 
needs to be overseen a lot in the, the, the execution of these dishes. Um, so there hasn't been as much collaboration. A lot of times it's just me scribbling ideas down and, you know, hoping that they uh, get to make it to fruition one day. But that's, that's kind of where the buck has stopped recently as far as the, the majority of the creativity. It's just going into a notebook and, and uh, being archived for the moment. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. You know, cause when things start back up again, that, that surplus will be very helpful. Um, and you know, I, I, the dishes are very flexible. Like it's just more about ideas and whether they end up being on an intricate 10 course tasting menu or whether it's a nice little, uh, you know, larger portion for a mid course or an entree. Um, you know, they're, they're flexible enough to, to kind of, uh, adhere to that. And we're, we're just going to see, where things go as far as the demand is. And, uh, you know, right now the fine dining is definitely going to have to take a back seat for a little while just because we're, we're having to focus on feeding, feeding people a little bit more and contactless and how to do things in a, in a absolutely safe way. Uh, especially when it comes to our contact with the guest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've always been very safe with the contact with the food. Um, in that regard, I don't know if we wanted to circle back on the subject at any point, but, um, you know, the, um, the way we've handled food hasn't had to change too drastically. Luckily for us, we've always adhered to the health code, which, which pretty much has you prepared for a viral outbreak at any moment Mm -hmm. in the kitchen, you know? So I think the one drastic addition to our daily routine has been the masks. Um, and, you know, just obviously a little bit more obsessive with the sanitation, but, uh, you know, we've always, we've always held ourselves to almost like a worst case scenario situation as it is. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's really the interactions with the guests that have had to have the most drastic changes. No, I don't know if there was ever any doubt that your kitchen was impeccably clean. And I would say the majority of kitchens, quite frankly, based on sanitation needs and, and the way that health departments were constantly kind of checking in. But I do want to talk about yeah. your staff and kind of the way that you mentioned a couple of times, the interactions with guests. For those that are listening that may not be aware, your studio is set up in a very classic way, which you don't really see a lot of anymore. Um, can you break down kind of the way that a meal would run with the different positions, the different crew members that are running food that are presenting with the guests and interacting and things like that, because it's not something a lot of people see. And then I want to kind of talk about how, what do you think service looks like in the new world kind of following that? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a very old school kind of style of service. We call it captain service. Uh, you know, every, uh, every team that's on the floor, is made up of uh, four to five members, depending on, on who's in back. Uh, but you have a captain, you have a server, you have a server assistant, and then you have a back waiter who, who uh, may be just running food all night. But um, you could have one to two of those. So four to five people on your team. The captain makes you know initial contact, and the captain's the most knowledgeable about the menu. And then essentially, the captain takes the order. Um, but every everything is so that the captain doesn't leave the table uh, that is then handed off to the server assistant or the server. The server is the one that has the contact with the kitchen, translates the orders into the computer. Um, they're the ones that uh, are going to be in back, you know, making sure the food's prepared properly or if there's any allergies or dietary restrictions that those are translated properly to the chef. Uh, then you have the server assistant who is basically uh, doing the breads and waters and, and maintaining the manicuring the table and making sure that silverware is reset and all that. And then you have the back waiter slash runners who basically then take the food and we uh, have synchronized service. So that's why it takes so many of those. Um, so each, each runner carries a maximum of two plates and they synchronize service. Uh, ladies serve first and then gentlemen, uh, you know, it's this very old, old classic, uh, service so they can only drop two plates at a time so when you have let's say six people at a table it's going to take three runners to come out with with two plates in each hand or i'm sorry one plate in each hand or total of two to drop the table so it's it's quite an intricate service and of course during your meal you're in contact not with just your server but you're in contact with 
you know, four to five different people that come to your table for various different responsibilities throughout your meal. Um, it's very seamless. Uh, the idea is that you, you want for nothing during your meal. There's always somebody with eyes on your table. Um, you know, it's, it's all very based in the Forbes five-star standard, which the restaurant does have a five-star rating with Forbes. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's where a lot of it comes from is just trying to adhere to those guidelines. Um, which is pretty difficult. They're very strenuous. There's about a hundred of them, hundred of these marks that you got to hit in order to maintain that, that rating. So it takes an army, definitely takes an army. Have you thought at all, and I know that a lot of chefs haven't because they're mostly in survival mode. You look around at places like Alinea, you know, Grant Ackett has shifted to kind of pick up to go orders. But then you look at the other mm -hmm. side, Daniel Hume, you know, there's rumors that 11 Madison Park may not open again, yeah. kind of all these high-end restaurants. Have you given thought or have there been any discussions within kind of your circle of chefs about what does this service kind of potentially look like once people emerge from this? Uh, I mean, there's been some, some, some ideas floated around and, you know, I, um, I don't, I, I can't see it. I can only speak on, on my opinion. Um, but I don't, I can't see it going quite back to the way it was for a long time. And I don't know if it's worth it to, you know, switch your service to one, one direction just to go back to it later down the road when everything's cleared and we're all safe to run around again. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think that I think that the vast majority of people are going to take this opportunity to kind of shift away from that, if that was their service in the first place. You know, um, that, I think that maybe down the line people will gravitate back towards it, or at least uh, you know partially. But in the meantime, it doesn't. It's not super feasible. Um, you know, you you don't need as many people when you're you're. Um, your food, you know, your food's not going to be as intricate. The table side services that we used to do, again, uh, shaving truffles, table side, things like that. Um, we're, we're not allowed to do so much of that anymore yeah. uh, in the mean, in the meantime. And right, rightfully so, you know, you need to limit the contact as much as possible. So I don't think that, I don't think it's in the guest's best interest to go back to that, nor do I think that they would want to at the moment. So um, I think the bigger question is, is it worth it to change things in the interim knowing that you'll go back down that road later, or you just take this opportunity to take a step back and get back to the essentials of service. And you know, what, what, what is the bare minimum of contact that it takes to make a dining experience outstanding? What is, you know, what are the, what are the essentials and what can we strip away to create less contact with the guests? Is there any sense of relief for you in that aspect? Like you mentioned, there's so many different marks that you have to hit for those marks of excellence. I mean, maintaining team training like that and hitting your cues every single time, as well as hitting the cues of when you design a menu, making sure that the dishes aren't too you know, spread apart timing-wise, how long is each guest going to take on a dish, et cetera, things like that. Is there any kind of relief on your end that some of the rigors may be relaxed because you can't go back to them and you're able to kind of go back to... I guess a more relaxed style of hospitality. Yeah. I mean, there certainly is. Um, I don't think that, uh, I don't think it's going to be a significantly less, um, passionate situation. I mean, we're still going to be very passionate about all these things that we do, whether it's, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, whether it's a burger that you, you cooked off the grill or whether it's a, um, you know, fine dining, piece of Wagyu steak that you intricately plate with flowers that are grown in the garden. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, chefs are very passionate about what they do, whether it's, whether it's one or the other. So mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to significantly change, uh, how we feel about the food. Um, I don't know if I, I got away from your question a little bit, but, uh, um, I don't, I don't think it'll take too much pressure off of us in the long run. Um, I don't think that we want that pressure off of us necessarily. You know, you want to, you want to always hold yourself to the highest standard possible. Mm -hmm. um, at least, at least I do, you know, so whether it's a burger, whether it's a piece of Wagyu beef going out to the table, I think that getting it there on time, getting it hot, getting it seasoned properly and cooked to the right temperature, all those, all those factors are still at play. And uh, I don't think that'll ever change for myself personally. There were a lot of conversations happening in the industry um, a couple of years before this all broke out about 
improving kind of mental health, quality of life for chefs, uh, things like that. A lot of the things that I kind of heard when this first broke down from different, maybe not, you know, chefs and owners kind of who had a lot more things to worry about, but you know, bartenders, servers, friends that I talked to in the industry said it was almost kind of like a forced vacation and it allowed them to exhale. And while, you know, a lot of people had fiscal things to worry about and obviously, you know, their general health to worry about, it was one of those things where people kind of were able to remember what it was like to, you know, get up before noon and not go to bed at 3 a.m. and, you know, not have to worry about post-shift drinks and things like that. Do you think yeah. with the rush, and this is not speaking for studio specifically as the industry um, as a whole, but do you think with that rush to get back to business and try to survive, is that conversation about mental health and kind of quality of work-life balance going to be put on hold? I certainly hope not. But um, again, like you said, the, the rush to get back to everything. I, you know, I hope that every uh, business owner, you know, takes the opportunity to do it wisely in a way that is respect, equally respectful to all these employees. Um, but at the same time, we're talking about uh, systems that have been at play for hundreds of years here. And, uh, you know, how, how much will they change? Um, that's a, that's a good question. You know, I think that, um, a lot of the, I, one thing that won't change is the hours. Yeah. You know, we may be closing and getting slower a little bit earlier in the evening, but, but overall the hours, um, you know, they're just, it's a different walk of life. You got to get into as a chef, especially if you want to be, uh, a, 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 you know, you want to cook dinner. Um, you're going to be there very late at night and, mm -hmm. you know, that shift, um, it was, it was tough for a little while when, you know, you have this opportunity to start working normal hours again, or, you know, in, in most cases, you're actually not working for a little while. You have this kind of chance to touch back on what reality is like for other people. And it's, it's pretty drastically different, you know, and, and it's kind of laid bare in front of you and you really want to kind of gravitate towards it. But the, the demands of the industry um, don't allow for that necessarily, you know, as a chef, uh, who's been focused on, on not just fine dining, but mainly dinner as a whole, whether it's been, you know, my multitude of restaurants I've worked in, I've, I've done the majority of dinners and, mm -hmm. um, you know, so I am in that boat. I do get home, uh, after midnight and I am up until about two in the morning and I do, you know, I got, I have two kids. So, um, you know, the, sleep is going to lose out on that equation for sure. Cause I'm, I'm up in the morning, you know, feeding breakfast to the kids and all that stuff. But, um, I think as badly as we all want it to, there's just some things that, that, uh, come with the job and the hours are definitely going to be part of that because people's eating habits aren't going to change that much, you yeah. know? So completely, um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things that came to the forefront. Um, some of the battles I think are definitely need to be fought for, you know, there's always been this inequality in the kitchen for, as far as pay is concerned, you know, for young line cooks, this is, this is industry wide, you know, it's not a very high paying job, but these mm -hmm. people, a lot of times are college educated coming from culinary school, which is, which is not cheap, mind you, not cheap. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they take on these jobs that are, uh, you know, they're not, they're not high paying jobs and it's the grind it's a long time that you spend in that role before you're actually making any substantial money um and i i think that you know as much as we all as individuals want to fight those battles it's a it's, a, it's an industry wide change that needs to happen and uh unfortunately i don't see it happening as people are starting to reopen you know you're not hearing a lot about it anymore now it's just this rush to reopen and as important as it is the focus has to be on guest safety. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to really like take a step back and look at both at the same time. I don't know. Um, it's a tough answer. I, I, I think that, you know, I, there's a reason why I've worked where I've worked for 10 years and, um, I'm happy to be where I am. Uh, I wish that I could speak for the industry and say, Hey, well, we're making all these changes and, you know, we want to see, better quality of life for our chefs and we want to see all these, uh, you know, we want to see a higher pay scale. We want to see all this, but, um, unfortunately, uh, I can only speak for myself and just tell you that, uh, um, I'm bl very blessed to work where I do. I'm happy for that. 
it's got to be fantastic having the support of a group like Montage behind you. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's yeah. definitely got to be a relief. And I definitely don't want this episode to be all doom and gloom. So we'll we'll shift to some <laughs> some happier topics. Uh, almost ten years at Studio. That's a gr- hell of a time for any chef at any location. Uh, one of the things that I heard one time that stuck with me when I got into kind of food writing and coverage was Dave Chang. He said that he marks great restaurants not by kind of the awards and stuff like that, but by the alumni that come out of their kitchen. And I would argue that Studio, more than probably any other restaurant around here, has had more great alumni and chefs that have gone on to do great things, open restaurants, you know, unfortunately close them, move on to new ones. (laughs) In all those 10 years, were there any years where that kitchen was just firing on all cylinders, even maybe just like to a degree that was just laughably good? Well, it pains me to say this. And, um, man, at the end, we were firing on all cylinders, dude. We were crushing it. Oh, this is not and, taken uh, away from yours. Cause again, I was fortunate <laughs> to eat, you know, when you were helming it, I think just about what last August, about a little, a little under a year ago. And it was one of the best meals yeah. I've ever had in my life. So that's not taken oh, well, away from you. I appreciate that. But are there yeah. any, are there any no, fond I mean, memories? Uh, we, I, I'd say that, uh, the first crew that I ever worked with down there about 10 years ago, those, that, that, um, you know, graduating class, if you will, uh, went on to do some pretty great things. I got a, a buddy who's a chef up in Alaska, um, who recently did a, um, I forgot the name of the show, but Gordon Ramsay came up to visit him and visit his restaurant in Alaska. It's on the travel channel. It's really mm-hmm. cool. So, uh, but, um, I forgot the name of the show, but, uh, another friend of mine that was from that era is, uh, running a few restaurants up in LA. And, uh, you know, I think part of it, comes from the fact that you're young you're very impressionable these people are going to make a huge impact on you and your career um and then the other fact is that it's been 10 years and these people have had uh, all that time to grow in their careers and so you start to see some major accomplishments in that time um it's just a great team and I'm, i'm still look back at every single member of that kitchen as as a you know respected peer of mine which is pretty cool um but i think Again, back the man towards the end, we were just, uh, you know, during my tenure down there as the chef during two years, it was uh, rebuilding the team a little bit. You know, it was a lot of moving pieces, and we collected the ones that we wanted and put them in the right places. And we were definitely firing on all cylinders towards the end. And uh, yeah, it was the spring menu that we had running was phenomenal, and uh, got to run it for about I don't know two or three weeks is all before everything hit and now uh now we're just back in holding pattern but it'll see greatness again i'm sure and uh you know hopefully hopefully some of those some of those players come back and and the ones that have found you know better fits for themselves and and a chance to move on uh you know more power to them and i I wish nobody i wish everybody the best um but yeah I'd, i'd say that uh over the years there's been i don't know 50 or 60 people that have come out of that restaurant that went on to do pretty great things in the industry. So definitely an institution for Orange County. Um, been operating for 17 years now um, at a five-star level. So, you know, you see a lot of alumni out of that place that have gone on to do great things. In all and it's you... a testament. Yeah. It's absolutely. a testament for, for how people are treated and, and, you know, how they enjoy their work experience, you know, because if, uh, if you're turning and burning chefs, whether they go on to do great things or not, they're not going to reflect positively back on, on their experience with you. So absolutely. Um, yeah. During your time where you've been kind of helming it, do you have a favorite menu that you've pumped out? You know, that the garden menu that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, I, 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 it's not something that I would probably go in and sit down and say, oh, I want, I want the garden menu necessarily, but from a creative standpoint, um, one of the first things, uh, well, one of the first aspects of the menu that I put on myself, uh, as the chef de cuisine, um, just saw glowing reactions from the guests and it filled so many niches that you have, uh, you know, it was completely vegan. It was completely gluten-free. Um, you know, there was almost no allergy <clears throat> or dietary request that that menu couldn't fit. And that was by design. Of course, we wanted to just strip it down to like the most basics and then build it up from that without Mm -hmm. the use of 
of gluten or dairy or anything like that. And, um, you know, for the, and not only that, but focus on in those six courses on the menu, we better make dang sure that the guest is not leaving hungry or needs to go (laughs) swing by and get an impossible burger on the way home. (laughs) (laughs) But, and so we focused a little bit on nutrition and I'm not a nutritionalist, but I know how to, I know, I know that, you know, vegetarians need to make sure they get their protein and vitamins and all that stuff. And we focused on that a little bit. We put some nice grains on there. Um, you know, the, the opening course was a escabeche of red ink and quinoa. Um, so you have these ingredients that, um, are, are fantastic superfoods to eat a nice bowl of at home if you're a vegetarian, but let's showcase them in a new light where you can see that these, these ingredients really do have a place in fine dining, especially in the future of fine dining where you have so many, um, allergies and dietary restrictions. Uh, so, so that was definitely a very cool achievement for me to, and not so much see it on paper, but see the, uh, the reactions to people when they, when they actually ordered the menu and ate it from start to finish. And, um, just to give a little background information, the, every course followed a different life cycle of the, or a different stage of the life cycle of a plant. So it went from seeds to um, roots and shoots to, uh, let's see here, flowers, fruits, and I'm, I'm missing one um, just off the top of my head. But, you know, so the whole thing followed the life cycle of a plant. So I had that kind of creative thing that tied it back around and then, at the end of the meal, the guest got a printout of the menu that was printed on seeded paper that they could then go home and plant. And and the seeds were some herbs that were featured on the menu That's as well. Awesome. So, yeah, it yeah, was a lot, of love that. a lot of fun. Yeah. See, now I collect menus, so that would just go and start to actually grow within a binder that I keep underneath my home bar. So <laughs> it should be interesting, but I love that. Absolutely yeah, it was, that. it was fun. It was fun. Uh, and it... Like I said, it filled a great niche because there's, uh, you know, we just had so many people coming in and requesting gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan mm-hmm. things that, you know, your vegetarian if your vegetarian items aren't focused also in being vegan, then you're on your back foot every time they order it. So we just wanted to make sure that we were, you know, on the offensive there, and it, and it worked out in our favor for sure, and and I should say the guest favor as well. So you have some of the. I would argue not just prettiest, but best looking dishes. Um, you know, I laugh with Benjamin Epstein one time and he goes, they, you can literally not take an ugly picture of Ben's food. It's impossible. <laughs> um, when you're plating a dish, is there any kind of creative yeah. process you use for that? Or are you basically just kind of tweezing and poking and prodding until you go, yeah, that's, no, that's pretty. There's a, there's a, there's a formula. There's a formula for sure. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's three basic elements to making a, a, a uh, any dish to elevating any dish and and number one is going to be seasoning and proper temperatures of the food and that's all the you know the cooking the whole process of, of cleaning the vegetables all that goes into just that one aspect and that's the flavor essentially the flavor of the food the next one's going to be texture you need to have some nice texture variations um, you know creamy versus crispy on the same plate and you know how is it going to um, heighten the dish through the uh, the actual uh, mouthfeel of the ingredients, and then the last one is is contrast and the presentation. And when I say contrast, I mean of colors. You're just like a painter, and the more colors you can have on your palette, the more intricate paintings you're going to be able to make. Um, and I'm blessed with this garden that is just chock full of every color imaginable, and all these these cool little garnishes that we can um, harvest as you know little sprouts or we can let them bolt and get the flowers and you know all these really fun ingredients to to end up finishing the dish with um so so there's a there's a formula um you know you want to make sure you have those color variations you want to make sure you have some height to it and some contrast to the colors um and then you know using your plate like a like a a blank uh, palette or a, a blank canvas if you will um, you know, how do you use the negative space to balance colors that are actually going on the plate? Um, and then as odd as it sounds, where do you put that garnish? Where is it going to have the most striking, uh, contrast to the plate? Um, you know, and those things, those things can, can they can be taught, of course. Um, <clears throat> I've always been, 
artistically inclined. I, I went, you know, I used to draw and paint and sculpt and do all those cool things uh, before I took cooking very seriously. So um, for me, I got uh, a, a quite a bit of background in art, and so for me, it's it's not a stretch. Um, but they, uh, through my experience, I've noticed that if you just break down the reasonings behind doing things, um, you can you can teach that to people. And you can have them recreate and not just recreate, but kind of inspire them to create their own beautiful um, plates. And in the restaurant, we didn't necessarily set, we don't have pictures on the wall of the food. And this is exactly what it looks like. And this is the plate that this dish has to go on every time. Mm -hmm. I try to inspire the chefs to be creative in their own right. They need to have the right components on the plate. The temperatures have to be just right. And if it doesn't look great, they're going to end up replating it and they need to know that. But inside those parameters, have fun, you know, do something new, do something creative. Um, just cause I did it this way or I plated it this way doesn't mean you necessarily have to, but it better look as good. Otherwise we're going to replate it. But, um, that I think it's really important to be able to instill that creativity into the young chefs. And, you know, that's how you create, a strong breed of alumni that come from your restaurant is by empowering them, leading them to water, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I know for a fact yeah. that there's a handful of uh, young line cooks and chefs that do listen to the show. So I hope you guys got all that down on notes. And if you didn't rewind and if you're <laughs> in the car and listening to this, pull over and then rewind. Um, I do want to ask one question that I have to, just because it is the montage. You guys are so prestigious for a reason best celebrity you've ever cooked for worst celebrity you've ever cooked for. I know you're not going to answer the worst oh, one, but I have to, man. I have to ask it. You know, I hate to do this to you, but I, I can't even answer that question for you. <laughs> yeah, damn. I figured it was worth a try. Uh, yeah, I, there's some cool ones, but I, yeah, I'm not really at liberty to speak about the, the celebrities that come in the restaurant and half the time. I don't even know. Cause we don't, we have a culture of just not talking about that. Fair enough. It was worth yeah, a shot. I apologize. There's oh, been some cool God, ones, some did. rockers. Rockers, that was for worth sure. a shot. That's fair. Um, uh, I have to ask this. This is a personal question, just because I'm a fellow Colorado guy. Anything is now. This is always true. People ask me if you ever moved away from California, where's the one place you would go? My answer is always Colorado. Do you hold the same answer? I, I sure do. Yeah, I love where Colorado's come in the last decade as far as food goes. Yeah, um, I think it'd be crippling for me to be as far away from the ocean as a chef. I've just come to embrace it so much. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, Denver is, it's a cool city, man. And they've come a long way with their food. Um, you know, a lot of fun, a lot of fun, uh, restaurants are popping up and, um, they've had a lot of trial and errors. I've seen some tasting menu only restaurants not do so well in Denver, but I've seen some middle of the road restaurants doing fantastic food with fantastic ingredients and had fantastic results. And that's what I look for. If I'm going to move somewhere, you know, I'm looking for, for how is that? How, how is the respect for food in that city? Yeah. You know, do they, do they care about the ingredients where they come from? Is there a culture of, uh, you know, sustainability? Do these people want to know the farms that their food comes from? Or are they happy passing up that restaurant and hitting the fast food restaurant on the way home? And there's, there's a lot of that. There's when I moved from Colorado, which is about, you know, 14 years ago, 15, almost years ago, uh, there was a little bit of that, um, I worked in some, some higher end restaurants and, um, there were, there was a little bit of that, but, and, and the, you know, the industry as a whole hadn't come where it is now, where we, you know, want to know the cow's name that was on our plate and yeah. things like that. But, uh, I've seen a lot of progress in Colorado and I'm very happy to, uh, to see that. And, um, you know, I've, I've still got a lot of family in Colorado, so that's definitely one, one partial deciding factor, but, um, you know, I can't say enough cool stuff about Colorado. I love that state. Well, you're not allowed to move back until I move back. <laughs> I, I refuse to let your food go. So <laughs> yeah, no, no plans of that as now, as Good. of now, but, uh, you know, any vacation time I get, that's where I'm going for sure. Good. Well, chef, I don't want yep. to take up too much more of your time. I know that you do have to work today, so you got to jump into the kitchen. Um, if people want to follow you on social media, reach out to, I, I know Montage is all, or I'm um, sorry, Studio is all listed through Montage's website and things like that. Um, but if people Correct, want to follow yeah. you and kind of see what you're up to, where can they do that? Uh, well, Instagram is at Benjamin Martinek. 
Um, I'm also on Facebook, Benjamin Martinek, but I kind of, I, I, I treat my, my Instagram almost like a working resume. So, uh, it is, it is extremely food focused. Um, so I would definitely recommend checking out that page. If you want to see some of the, some of the studio plates that we were creating, um, they're going to be all there. And then, uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge social media guy, so that's, I, I'm not on Twitter or anything like that. So you'll find me on Instagram. Perfect. Chef, thank awesome. you so, so much for the time, man. I, I can't tell you. Oh, well, how thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Beyond it's, happy to it's do awesome. it. It's awesome. Yeah. Can't, can't wait of, for you guys of, to be open. <laughs> me neither. But you'll be the first to know, my friend. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. <laughs> be well. Enjoy the rest of the day. All right. You too. Thank right, you take so care, much. Chef. Bye. That was Chef Ben Martinick, chef at Studio Montage Laguna Beach. I don't know why I said that in such a weird way. What a guy. The fact that he's a Colorado guy just makes me like him that much more. Yeah, we're biased. Get off to my podcast. I'll be biased if I want to. Thank you so much for listening. I know that 20 episodes doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're launching a little podcast as a one-man production team in the middle of a pandemic trying to do what you can do, every little thing is a milestone. So thank you so much for supporting through 20 episodes. There's going to be 220 more minimum, and they're all going to have great guests. We got some really big people lined up that I'm super excited to share with everybody soon. Um, I do want to note one thing. Obviously, the release schedule has been a little all over the place. I'm trying to aim for two episodes a week. Obviously, you can get early access if you support over on Patreon. Um, but obviously, with so many moving pieces between you know the virus and everything else that's going on, uh, I want to make sure that chefs are taking care of themselves first rather than trying to make time for a podcast like this. So if it takes a couple days for an episode to release or something like that, sorry, I'm doing my best to stay consistent. You just got to deal kind of with the realities of the world. So thank you to Chef again. I cannot wait for Studio to open back up. When it does, you need to go experience his food and his team's food. It really is something. Um, and it might be one of the prettiest places to sit. And it's got a view like none other. But Regardless, we got to get there first. In the meantime, I hope you listened to something that you enjoyed. And if you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review and a rating on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you are listening. It helps other people find the show too. And that helps me. And that helps you find more great chefs to listen to. Thank you so much. I will see everybody on the next episode of The Best Seats Podcast. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Robert McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Katie Cassie, Eric Lutz, Serena Warino, Talia Samuels, Cheryl McCarthy. Thank you for your support.